Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. Okay, well, sometimes science is more art than science, Morty. A lot of people don't get that. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, if you're planning to go on a high-profile murderous rampage, can you at least not do it tomorrow? <laughs> I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. Well, one, I you know, I usually like to plan those things at least a month in advance. Yeah. But why, why, why this question? I, I just can't take Mr. Robot, the finale, getting put off another week because <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> the, the the murder of two innocents and the suicide of the guilty person and you're worried about well, i'm assuming I mean, that was going to happen <laughs> anyway and, and yeah would i rather that you didn't go on the murderous rampage at all absolutely <laughs> but if you are just dead set on doing it i just want you to if put you it must. off till thursday that's all. Much, much like needle exchange programs, you're all about the harm reduction. <laughs> exactly. I, I gotta say, man, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little too empathic for even this to be a joke. And, I, and I think, let me, let me check my hypothesis. Did you actually watch the live video no. of that incident? No. Yeah. You know, I Did always you know. I know. Yeah, and I know that it's going to be horrible, and that I am going to regret it immediately. And I can't. I can't stop myself. It's the weirdest kind of weakness of will. Like it's like Acrasia Prime, right. like where I don't really want to do it, but I am compelled to do it anyway. That's what I mean, he there wanted, was no... right? Isn't that what he wanted? Was <sighs> for you to watch, not you particularly. Not. I guess he even he even taped himself doing it. It was really distressing. I mean, you don't see. You don't see people actually getting shot, but but it doesn't really matter. It's it's just horrible. Like I, you know, what I feel really bad for is those people who have to screen like YouTube and stuff to delete content. I've talked to people whose job it was to constantly yeah. be monitoring because people are uploading fucked up stuff all the time, and they have to be quick to take it down. Wow! So somebody's job is to see like child porn and beheadings like all day long. Maybe you would get used to it, but I that's I don't want to get used to it. Well, if but you got used a, to it, then that your life would be fucked up, like desensitized to the point where, you know, Paul Bloom might like him. <laughs> he's, he's not a sucker for empathy. <laughs> no. He's uh he's yeah, no, I wonder if they even have guidelines. Like if you once you recognize that it's like inadmissible content, if you just watch it a little too long, 
Yeah. It sounds like you did. No, I know. I should. Yeah. It's a. But yeah, I I mean, (laughs) to the. I I mean, honestly, my heart goes out to to those people and all. But your heart goes out to the victims. But really, really, we're here to talk about. But really, we're talking about the future because, you know, take a consequentialist approach here. And if these things have to happen, I'd rather they didn't. I'd rather we had gun control laws. I'd rather we didn't, you know, give opportunities to people who just have it in their head that they want to kill somebody that just give them the the, the weapons to do that. Having said that, this is the country we live in. And you're going to do what you're going to do, probably just not till Thursday. That's that's all. <laughs> not until. So the background, I mean, we've spent five minutes talking about this, but the background is that the Mr. Robot finale was supposed to have aired the day after this occurred. No, but, the day uh, uh, the, that, the day that that's occurred. That night. Right. That night. Yeah. Um, and so they the producer said that because there was a scene that was too similar to the events that actually took place, they were going to hold off for a week. And I, we talked about this and I was like, really a week that like, <laughs> that's, I, that's sort of an acknowledgement of like the short attention span of, of the modern audience. Like by a week, they'll have forgotten about the horrific events. It's, it's funny. Like, I, I was expecting like a whole series of hot takes about this. It never came. It was just like, people were like, yeah, that seems about right. You don't do it. Um, I'm just hoping it doesn't require like a huge amount of editing or any editing to to mr robot because that is a right we're gonna talk about it we're gonna talk about it after the finale we're gonna have a whole episode devoted to it and if you're not watching it now i mean there's something wrong with you there's something like you like yeah. check yourself well, into some clinic or something because <laughs> that's just insane we'll give people we'll give people a couple of weeks it's only we've given them yes. plenty of advance warning on this yeah no that's true we've been on this show's so- jock from like for the last two and a half months and the, the rest of the country kind of joined us uh, before, last, <laughs> before it was all last cool. we're the tastemakers yeah. we're the tastemakers yeah. no definitely and we got a nice email where somebody some somebody hilariously referred to they were looking forward to your high-minded comments uh, uh about mr robot when the series finally wrapped which i take it was a marijuana joke a- another person said that Aside from my filleting of Mr. Robot, that yeah. they really enjoyed our podcast. And um, I would like to say that right now, the whole country is joining me on their knees. I know. As long as you give me credit for having introduced you to it. You absolutely did. You saw it before it aired. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. know, you're, you're plugged into that Comic-Con nerd you, culture uh, that I'm just, was on <laughs> I'm, this like I'm, even before the first episode. I'm a hacker. I, I hacked into the server and watched Except, it. Stream. That's why I've set up a honeypot. <laughs> I, I want to bring this up because I'm actually confused about what to celebrate. So as of, so we're recording today, Tuesday, September 1st. Yeah. Um, our first episode ever was posted three years ago on August 30th. So this is our anniversary. Happy anniversary. Oh, really? Um, yesterday was three years. Yeah. Yeah. And, awesome. uh, but then, but then also it's episode 74 and I wish we just would have timed it right. So that it would have been 75, you know, yeah. we could have, we could have actually, you know, given each other anniversary gifts, you know, you know, the ring I've been looking at and you just, um, <laughs> but I've left enough hints. 
you know, like catalogs laying around the house. I know, but like, <laughs> I don't know if I can afford that, you know? Like, <laughs> why do you need to impress your friends? It's Dude, not about salary. That. Don't you, don't you love me? <laughs> it's a, it's about the fact that we are good podcast co-hosts. It's not about those you. partially examined life guys have huge rings. I'm going to look like a fool. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, there's some new fucking upstart podcast out there that is just all the rage on iTunes. You brought it to my I just, today. I, I was going to ask you if you were going to talk mad shit about them and then have to like back off. It is a couple of guys. I, I didn't notice whether they were actually philosophers or not, but it's called You've Got It All Wrong. Um, they have 12 episodes. They seem funny. We're totally not threatened. I, I've never heard of them. They got to jump and swing up to hit me in the knees. <laughs> Except they don't have to jump from their number one spot on the philosophy iTunes. They don't. They're just, yeah, they can piss on us from up there. But I'm all for more people doing podcasts and trying them. And it's it's nice that you're giving everybody credit and that you're expressing all this compassion for victims of a shooting and all that. But part of me thinks this is just trying to change the subject because your whole field has been exposed as not fraudulent, <laughs> but let's just say giving an unreliable picture of reality at least that's one way of looking at these results and we should say also that our that our episode today is on deception lies how to capture reality let's <laughs> so start the tie with, in is that the, this this report very conveniently landed um as a nice bridge to our main topic and here's the here's here's the bullshit is the minute that this these results came out, I knew I knew that I was going to have to deal with you. And like, I, I don't even know what the equivalent would be in philosophy, like sexual harassment, you know, because well, yeah. there's no it's not even Jack. <laughs> well, we should say what we're talking about first. So what are we talking about? Well, and I know that you read like the little sidebars that the editors where they pick the quotes, you know, and they like they put them in Good big movie, font with quotes method. around it. <laughs> uh, so this is a report that came out in Science with uh, a ton of authors. This is actually it, this is like one of the best ways to get a paper in Science. There's like 200 authors, but this is a report done by the the a group of researchers who dedicated themselves to trying to replicate a hundred experiments. Uh, that had been published in since 2008 in three journals. So these were these were good journals and in many cases high profile studies. And so they assigned people to try to to reproduce the results that had been originally reported. And so they got in all of these cases they got the original materials and the instructions from the original researchers. And um, it took a while, but what they found, which is what the headlines have all been saying, so only about a third of the attempts to replicate the original studies actually came up with the same results. Well, not the same so, results, just significant uh, results. like Just significant yeah. results, yeah. Because <clears throat> there is a second part, so, right, where the effect size was also like on average, even when there was an effect, half 
the original effect size. Right. The mean the mean effect size of the replication effects was half the magnitude of the mean yeah. effect size of the original effects. Right. So so it went down. So yeah, this is this is in some sense distressing uh, for us as a science. There's a couple of things though that that I think are really important to understand. Uh, one this is isn't just about psychology. I applaud so Brian exactly. Nosick and the whole team that did this. Like this is probably um, going to be with slight differences. These kinds of inability to reproduce results are going to be found across any science that does this because we know like there's a, just a ton of publication bias. Like people people publish the studies that work in many cases because they genuinely believe that the ones that didn't work were done poorly. Um, there are all kinds of factors that might influence whether or not, you know, I know, I, I know and trust this, this team of researchers. Well, I don't know. I don't know them all, but, but they did go out of their way to try to do it as close to the original as possible. But there are always reasons why, why something might not, um, have been done exactly the same. Well, let's just separate before um, we move on to that, uh, way of getting out of this. Let's. Let's let's stick to the first one, which is that I absolutely agree that psychology is not alone in in yeah. in this issue, and it might be one of the most harmless fields for this to be true compared to like you know molecular biology or medicine, especially where medicine especially where right. these where these studies lead to a certain medicine getting approved. Billions of dollars will change hands and people's lives will go one way or the other based on these results. Whereas, you know, like, oh, yeah, uh, you're more likely to cheat if you don't believe in free will. You know, okay, so so what if that fails to replicate? You know, nobody's going to die. Unless there's ritual, ritual, seppuku, (laughs) um there there are a few things though that that kind that i i think are uh, like a little disconcerting about the way in which people talked about this because what so say that i do a study and it works and then you do the same study and it doesn't work those are two studies like there is this sort of tacit belief or some in some cases explicit belief that the second one is actually the one that we ought to believe now, in some cases, there are reasons for that. They used, you know, people, they, they used more subjects to get more statistical power. But, but still, what, what I would want is over time for there to be multiple attempts at replication. Right. So that you can, you can figure out, because right now there, you know, in some cases, there are two pieces of evidence, one that says yes and one that says no. In other cases, since we in in psychology and other social sciences, we use this sort of arbitrary cutoff that something is significant or not significant if it's you know be- below 0.05. In some in some cases, and there there has been work done on this by statisticians. The difference between uh, 0.06 and 0.04 is not itself significant, but it would categorically place one in the failed replication. And one in in the successful replication, and so there's I'll put a I'll put a link to a discussion of these problems. So the first one is because this is I, I've been actually following this story and seeing some of the responses from the psychologists. The first one says 
which is right on the face of it that just because a study fails to replicate doesn't mean that it that the it's false or that the effect is false. It just means that this one study failed to replicate that effect. Who knows why? Yeah. That's true as far as it goes, but you shouldn't take too much from that. It does now, if you're me, lead me to no longer have any trust in that effect. Now, you're right that it would be better if there were more of them. But at this point, there's no reason for me to believe that that effect exists just based on those two studies. You know, from my epistemic standpoint, why should I believe that there's that effect at all until I see more attempts at replication? Uh, so I do think that's that's very significant, no pun intended. That's a significant result. If you're thinking about it just from the epistemic epistemic perspective of people like who have no skin in the game yeah yeah although although it is hard to know what to do with this information because uh, depending on how you measure it anywhere between 35 and and 47 percent of the studies actually were replicated right so really the question is you know to look to look to see which studies were replicated and discard the ones that, that keep not getting replicated. But in any, in all cases, and I know there's been a lot of uh, sort of back and forth within our field about whether or not this is valuable. Some people think that it is, it's a literate, like literally I've talked to, to some people who think it's a crock of shit. They think that, that the way in which people are going after these studies are is, is unfair, and they think that they're going after scientists and not studies. It's bullying. That's what Dan Gilbert said. Yeah, that it's bullying. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm of the opinion that if, if I thought that something was true based on my study, and somebody tried it, and they tried it again, and they tried it again, and it keeps not coming out, I want to know. The whole point of science is to fucking try to figure out what's true. And so it's happened. And, and next time we have UL on, maybe we could talk about this because I know that he's he's uh, been been part of. He's this been a vocal well. proponent of right. yeah. doing more of these replications. Right. And so so really, like, I think that there's been just a lot of sloppiness in our field. And this is our field self-correcting. And hopefully other fields follow. You know, there's. Science, of all places, science published a paper that was nothing but replications. And that that alone, I think, is a, is a great, you know, too bad for the effects that didn't. But if I were a researcher who had an effect that didn't replicate, which we might be you know, one of our papers for some a future. Um, oh, yeah. Are you project. in that? It's like, are you in the Ashley Madison list? Are you in this? Uh, no, are you, no are you in I'm not. Study? I'm not in. I'm not in the I'm not in the. the Top 100 papers. But Brian Nosek is my Brian Nosek is my friend. He just probably right. like every single person in academia. <laughs> it just means that yeah, he's a well, professional Brian I, academic. Brian and I went to went to school together. Uh, um, so so I'm I'm all for it, man. If I if I found out that it didn't replicate, I would go do it myself again. And if it didn't work for me the second time, I'd be like, fuck, man. Like I wish that there were more more opportunities to publish when things aren't true when when things don't replicate okay two things one i don't think i would be able to stomach chip ellsworth the <laughs> third 
<laughs> that would be personally tragic to me. Well, at least in the population we studied, you should know that that we we did that with a bunch of different people in a bunch of different studies, and we never didn't make it Good. work. Right. You um, were able to massage so. the data in every one of those experiments to to get the effect. Well, we just paid we just paid people. We made like the the answers that we wanted them to use, we made them really big fonts and like bright colors and then like the, the answers. So that's definitely the, the sort of very optimistic, wide-eyed, oh, well, that's so great. You know, I'm so glad people are trying to replicate our studies and, you know, like I want to know if I'm wrong. And I believe that you're sincere in expressing that view. I also, though, wonder... To, to some, you know, and I think about this in philosophy as well. To what extent this is something that you guys brought on yourself with all the press releases and the the titles of your paper? Like, so one of the one of the studies that didn't reproduce, I alluded to earlier, was Vos, uh, your boy Schooler, uh, Kathleen yeah. Vos. Um, it's called the value of believing in free will. And right. it's uh, a study that I can't tell you how many times has been cited in the philosophical literature. I mean, just countless people right. who who are convinced that there's no free will. And of course, the way they even get in determine whether or not you believe in free will is is problematic. But set that aside, that they're more likely to cheat on subsequent tests. And, you know, this has been a source of of huge controversy just the, the the philosophy behind it in 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 my field i don't i don't know either of those two people they're not my friends i'm sure they're both your friends but they uh they are <laughs> but they haven't shied away from the from you know making this seem like a big effect with important implications right, here's another defense you hear well of course context matters and so we were talking about this you know under certain conditions and in a certain context well that's you know it depends what the context is for for that to be a good defense against these criticisms yeah and i and i think that there were you know i i don't think there were any purposeful or drastic changes in the context you right. know most of these cases they were very similar populations and, you know and so of course context is going to matter but that's that's a bullshit response like we always knew context would right matter. and nobody's um, pretending that it doesn't i so i think so here's why i'm i'm pollyannish and proud because uh you know i think that there is good reason to believe and I'm not a statistician, but I really trust um, uh, the work that's been done. So uh, this guy, Ionatis, I, I always forget how to pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, he published, yeah, he, he, he essentially predicted that for a variety of reasons, probably only half of, of published studies are actually true. So I, I'm not, I wasn't surprised. Um, and... I, you know, I view it as like if if anywhere between 35 and 45 percent of the studies that they picked actually did get replicated by complete strangers in a different lab using materials that were just shared, then I am just happy that we now have more confidence to believe those effects. And the rest of the 60, 
you know, it's up in the air. It's just, it's sort of open to, to figure out whether or not, and I hope that people actually go about and, and the original researchers try, uh, try to figure out what went wrong that I think that has to happen in every science. But to your point about the jur- about like the, you know, I, I think journalists liked social psychology so much that they trumped up the stuff. Like I, everybody puts out a press release at every university. Um, but I think that there's, there's something here to be learned for journalists. I actually think that both, both psychologists and journalists have done a bad job of just sexying up these findings. Yeah. Uh, like, I think that our, our science would be better off if we weren't so fuck didn't get such a hard on to be covered in the New York Times. No, I mean, that's uh, right. And you gave a great example. You had a study which <laughs> was talked up in The Economist. I remember those were way back, one of our earliest episodes mm-hmm. on utilitarianism, I think, where and they really reported it as if it was what was it like psychopaths are more more likely to be utilitarian or you or actually it was like utilitarians are more, utilitarians are psychopaths right. yeah and that, like, utilitarians are bad people and that right utilitarians yeah. are bad people <laughs> and actually your point was more like a criticism uh this was uh, one of your early attempts to show that there's something wrong with the way we were evaluating whether people were utilitarian or not, you weren't saying as much as you're not a utilitarian, you weren't accusing them of being bad people or being psychopaths. Right. Right. Our, our title of the paper was the mismeasure of morals. So, so I actually think, you know, to, to the extent it's not that it's not that I, I, nor do I believe that there are, that all utilitarians aren't assholes. Um, But here's something you can't blame on a journalist, right? So here is that the abstract of the psychological science article, the value of believing in free will, encouraging a belief in determinism increases cheating. This is the abstract. Does moral behavior draw on a belief in free will? Two experiments examined whether inducing participants to believe that human behavior is predetermined and would encourage cheating. In experiment one, participants read either text that encouraged either a belief in determinism uh, or a neutral text. Exposure to the deterministic message increased cheating on a task in which participants could passively allow a flawed computer program to reveal answers to mathematical problems that they had been instructed. And then these findings suggest that the debate over free will has societal as well as scientific and theoretical implications. There's no, like, this is context. There's no, I mean, and I'm setting aside the just implicit incompatibilism <laughs> that, that this assumes. Right. Uh, that's not it's not sexed up, but it's a pretty sweeping claim. Yeah, you know, I mean, I know. So, so, he, so now, here's my soapbox yeah. <laughs> because I think that that anybody who is trained in this stuff takes these these studies and these claims as as sort of a dent in getting to the truth, right? Like, like a, the, this is, well, this is a little... Appropriate step. grain of salt, you mean, like, sort of... Yeah, so, so like, okay, here is something that appears to be true. Um, and you're right that, that, you know, a lot of authors sexy it up and, and they make grand conclusions. But when one of the things I've noticed, and I don't remember if I've talked about this on, on the podcast or not, but um, is that philosophers take these single studies and treat them as if they were conclusive and sort of plug them into the steps of their argument. And so they'll say, 
you know, Socrates is a man. Uh, all men are mortal. Uh, free will makes people cheat. You know, whatever, whatever. And that's not how scientific findings ha- c- should be treated. They can't form the basis of a logical argument like that because when you're evaluating the truth of these scientific claims, you have to take the body of evidence. And it's it's really rare for me to see a philosopher who has bothered to take the entire body of evidence. Um, be- and maybe because if they did, they would they would realize that they can't really, you know, that there's so much that we don't know. Um, that that it makes for a useless piece of information for a but, but that's piece. bad if it's a useless piece. I mean, I agree that philosophers shouldn't just be like. And uh, recent evidence suggests that that believing in free will will make you a better person. Vosen Suler, two thousand eight, and then whatever Bowmeister thing that they also they always cite as a pairing with that. But um, and, and we shouldn't do that. I agree. But like what you said that there's. You know, that you can only really trust 30 something percent of these studies and that you what does that say about psychology, especially since this is a it's not like these replication attempts happen all the time. Right. This is a new and recent phenomenon. And if it hadn't been for for this and and all credit to to you and your field and those people for for doing this cuz you did it to yourself this didn't come in this isn't like psychology and receivership like you 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 right. like put yourself under this self examination but still there's very little incentive to to try to replicate somebody else's results that's not how you get ahead in your field and so yeah I, well this is true but 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 I got to say this I mean again this is true I think of most sciences whatever disheartening result and I agree I'm not but I'm I'm being optimistic but not denying the fact that it's distressing if 60% of those studies are actually not capturing something true this this method is one step to try to arrive at an estimate for how many of you these You keep can, sort of reducing the number of studies that fail to replicate the percentage of studies. It, no, I mean it's 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 you know somewhere between 37 and 45. It it really depends on how you measure it because if you look at the effect sizes that fall within the confidence interval of the original study um, it means essentially that you can't tell a difference between the two. If you, if there are various ways in which you can actually say right. yes, this replicated, and yes, this or but no, this only didn't. when and a binary... they had such a f- small effect size to begin with, right? I I'm, I don't no. I mean these are these were all originals. I, I take it what so you're saying is if, that there's if, a couple of studies where they were just over significant and then in the replication attempt they were just under, and so that counts as exactly as failed to replicate. And so and. And that's why I'm saying I'm using di- different uh, different estimates because on on one estimate it's something like 37 percent, another one it's or like whatever 40 something percent. Right. So that's it. I mean, it's not a huge difference. So right, right. No, I get that. I'm saying that that means the effect size was pretty small to begin with. That it was even on that sort of significance borderline. Right. Yeah, it's not really that the effect size was small, but rather that that. If you have an effect size, a real effect, all you need is just a ton of people to find it. If you have a very big effect size and a very small number of people, it's going to barely reach significance, too. Oh, okay, so right. So the sample, you have to take the same, right. the size of a sample, right? Yeah, yeah. And they tried in all of these cases to calculate how many, you know, I think they did it right. But, but even under the most optimistic estimate, we're still looking at, uh, at uh, over half 
um, of the studies that we have published in our top journals that were picked as these hundred as not as not replicating. And it's deceitful. I, I think. <laughs> might, no, not deceitful. I, it What's might, the word? It might be uh, as uh, well. They offer deceiving pictures of reality. Well, if when we'll get into this, I, if deception requires some sort of intent, you know, these people probably really did believe that they had effects. No, no. Um, so this isn't like so, this, <laughs> as you always stress. This isn't a case of fraud. This is. It's not. It's not fraud. It's not fraud. So I guess that I'm actually like this. I mean, this is just how the science has to proceed. Like I, if you had asked me how many of these original effects would be replicated, I don't know that I would have been that, uh, that confident that even that we would even approach 50%. And I think that's true in all of these that in, you know, uh, across a whole host of sciences for all sorts of reasons. So all we can do is try you know, this is why I love science, because this doing the science is getting us a better and better estimate. The more we do this, but you're right, we need more incentive. And I hope that publishing this thing in science actually gets people yeah. to to use incentive. But my but my point earlier about philosophers was that I think that it should give you guys a sort of uh, kick in the ass about not just saying that we think that this is true, but actually using any given scientific finding as input into a, a logical argument as if it were sort of like, you know, all, all swans are black kind of right. thing or all swans right. are white. Well, no, we, uh, because yeah. we won't get fooled again. We're, we're like the, <laughs> the spouse that got cheated on. We're not going to trust. Well, and then the, trust. And then, right. And then the question becomes like, well, how, if you're building a philosophical argument, what role do empirical findings play? So if you want to say like, you know, as Jesse Prince says, empathy Empathy actually is is bad for you. He he picks a couple of studies showing that empathy can lead people to to make bad decisions, um, but there are countless studies that show that uh, you know, depending on how you structure the study, that it leads to good decisions, and maybe those aren't replicated. But but he uses it as sort of a step in an argument, and and I don't think that if you're going to as a philosopher try to use empirical evidence in a way that's going to support an argument that you're making, you better damn well make sure that you've done the literature review and you are fairly con confident that this is a real effect. Yeah. And that takes that takes a lot of... I love how you're somehow blaming philosophers for this. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I'm how are we saying... supposed to know? You're the guy, you're the ones that tell us these effects are true. We don't have labs. <laughs> you think I have a lab? <laughs> You should see the size of my office. Yeah, yeah, but when we give talks, we say things like, well, s researchers have shown this, although there's some debate because of this and this and this. Sometimes. And you guys say, we, we know we know that, you know, this and this. <laughs> I, I, I don't right? say that. And, and <laughs> Maybe in, uh, when I'm teaching, because it's fun. I mean, that's the thing. Social psychology is fun. This could take the fun out of it a little bit, but... I know. And you know what I was going to say is, in the XFI work, uh, XFI work is probably going to fall prey to the same stuff. They've been like, doing how this, many actually, have for a while, and, like, have terrible... Uh, replication uh, <laughs> right so see traditional analytic philosophy based on intuitions is right but anyone with half a brain <laughs> you take uh, a bunch of guys that right. don't know how to do statistics not everybody josh nova <laughs> i'm sure knows how to do statistics but you know 
a lot of the people X Files, like, yeah, I don't know. I just give it to this guy. He knows how to run that, run those numbers. So this is why I think that you and I are at the forefront. For three years, we've been actually engaged in conversations so that we'll learn from each other. Yeah. So we'll see when your book when your book comes out on honor. We'll see if you make the mistake of actually citing one of the studies in these hundred that it didn't get replicated. Fortunately, nobody's doing. Uh, well, not uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I guess nobody's doing any studies on honor or else or it's very rare you uh, it's it's shockingly hard to find studies on honor um and honor based yeah. values and attitudes and all of that so i'm gonna have to do it you know old school just by appealing to just go to honor cultures and insult them and just <laughs> Make yeah, note yeah. of what happened yeah no i'm gonna have to embed my what's the like like a ethnography um yeah exactly just i'll just be a sociologist (laughs) they don't nobody you know like nobody expects them to come up with evidence so somehow i feel like you talked your way out of this massive scandal at the no no you we should be depressed we should actually but but you know but we should also look at which of the studies worked and which didn't and that's what hasn't i don't think been done well is to see like what's going on is is are there any are there any actual systematic somebody asked us on facebook like how did the situationist studies fare in this do you know were any tested i don't know that's a good question but we'll put links to all of the studies that were that were replicated and yeah it's it's so uh, you're definitely some we're gonna be a bullying podcast is that you know i'm really really uh curious as to how so just to see the difference in the way in which all of these uh, researchers will react. To I know. You know, and fair enough, I guess. Some people just take it as a, an accusation that they're bad scientists or that they lied or something. But but I think that the right the right attitude is, oh, shit, man, let me go try it. Now. Let me go try yeah. it again. See I actually saw this uh, quote from Schooler. Schooler? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, um, where he was just saying, yeah, you know. There, there have been a number of attempts to replicate this, and some have succeeded, some have failed, and I guess this shows that you know the context was a lot more specific than we originally thought. You know, he was pretty upfront about it. Yeah, and one one of his effects got replicated, and one of them, yeah. Um, so he he's batting five hundred, man. As far as I understand, that's a that's that's a fucking world class. I just class didn't know ever. that you guys held yourself to such low standards. You mean like the Red Sox? Um, <laughs> yeah. We're more like what the results really are, which is around 35% or something. All right, should we take a break? Let's take a break. to very bad wizards um as we said earlier dave it's been three years now since we've been doing this which seems ridiculous 
I know it feels like ten. Yeah, it feels <laughs> it does. Not in a good way. And, no. and and we're also about to hit our seventy fifth episode. And all joking aside, it's we've loved doing it and we've loved interacting with you, all the different ways that you get in touch with us. We're gonna add one more way of getting in touch with us in honor of our seventy fifth episode. Um Dave set up a phone number where you can leave a voicemail. Um, for our 75th episode, we were going to just do a, a brief segment uh, where if you want to leave a message with a brief thought about the show, maybe tell us what your favorite episode was, what do you think the most repugnant episode was, what you'd like to see more of. We'll just have a short segment where we play a few of a few of those, a few of the most most entertaining ones, and we'll of course listen to all of them. So, what's the what, what's the number that they can call? The number, the number is it's a Google Voice number three eight five two seven five eight two nine nine. Why that number? Well, it took me for like like two hours of searching, and this one actually is three eight five ask vbwz. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's any easier to remember. VBWZ. <laughs> Very bad. Yeah, VBWZ. I just wanted to put the Z there because, or else it would be VBW zero or one or VB. This is going to put five two seven five eight two nine nine. Yeah. So yeah, you just... make a song about it. And 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 this will be open right for future episodes too. If you want to leave us rather than emailing us your moral dilemmas, and we've gotten some good ones over the last few weeks. You can also leave a voicemail. Uh, with your moral yeah. dilemmas that we will offer our expert guidance to resolving. I want to hear the I want to hear the pain in in their voice. Yeah. I want to hear the pain in the voice of our <laughs> listeners, like the shakiness, like the tears <laughs> welling up, the anguish, <laughs> the anguish. We only did it once, and it was very special. <laughs> you have to do it six times for you to be officially gay. <laughs> You can also email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page. You can tweet us at at peas, at Tamler, and also rate and review us on iTunes. Um, we really appreciate those ratings and reviews, and we need it all the more now that we have these you've got it all wrong punk ass plagiarizing you know they just vaulted to the top and they just stay at the top of the itunes ratings and we're like hovering around like just swimming with all the you know they're like know. like with like podcasts, podcasts that have been heard of. Yeah, like can't, and like ones that have been canceled for like three years oh. that just they still happen to have like like ghost podcasts they're still on iTunes. Uh, th- those are all the different ways you can get in touch with us also the the show does take a lot of time a lot of money, a lot of energy. So we really appreciate your financial support. And you can, if you would like to support us financially, you can see how to do that on the support page at verybadwizards.com. You can either do it by clicking the Amazon link before you shop and we'll get a little cut or through a direct donation via PayPal. We're, we're also, we're looking into ways that we can personally thank a lot of the people that have donated to our show trying to figure out how we can do that. We don't want to do a segment on the podcast where we like read people's names out. Cause I don't know, like that's always the thing that I skip through when I'm listening to some <laughs> right. podcast. Right. We could scroll their names really, really quickly at the end. Yeah. 
my idea was uh, like like there's a Seinfeld episode once where George takes pictures of himself in his underwear. Yeah, I, I thought maybe we could send pictures of you in your underwear. I don't know. Like, yeah, I think the, but... the the very bad wizard audience is more looking for <laughs> you in your underwear, <laughs> especially since it's going to be nicer than my underwear. And like way to punish my our underwear donors. is like Hanes. You probably have some like designer underwear. <laughs> designer, they're like, Sassoon. <laughs> I wear I wear Sassoon underwear. It comes in a little egg. Yeah, they are. They are from 1987. I have holes in them. They're nude colored. <laughs> okay, finally, I have an important announcement to make, and. I, uh, you're not aware of this either, but I'm I know this is new to me. I'm sure you'll um, offer your <laughs> unconditional support for the very first time. I'm giving the official very bad wizards seal of approval to a federal judge, Judge Richard M. Berman. Judge Berman, thank you for blocking the greatest miscarriage of justice. Not just in sports, but in the history of all life. Thank you for setting it right. And you have an open invitation to appear on the Very Bad Wizards podcast to explain just how ridiculous this entire case against Tom Brady was. Thank you. Uh, you know, I feel like you can't just give an official Very Bad Wizards seal of approval without letting me know first. Uh, I, so I knew I, because I, you love I veto. justice. <laughs> veto. I don't even know what happened. Uh, Tom Brady's suspension. He was suspended for four games for A, something they have no evidence that he did, and B, something that even if he did do it, was not even close to warranting a suspension. The, Didn't they need to just make an example of Yeah, it was like probably the biggest case of scapegoating since like <laughs> Dreyfus in uh, you know anti-semitic 1911 France J'accuse Roger <laughs> you know I can't I feel like you on purpose didn't even tell me about this so I couldn't prepare some some retort because I don't even know that Tom Brady was suspended well, I know I'm vaguely did, aware so there's no that reason the NFL for you to retort. Is... <laughs> They end up vaguely aware that the NFL is starting something or other soon. But I'm glad that you brought this up because uh, it, w it it does bring us to the main topic, which is deception. Yes. Deception <laughs> on the part I, I of, a, that, of, of, a, of a commissioner of... I think I asked you this once, given your emotions. Like, if you really genuinely thought that nobody knew that anybody was doing... Like, to, like they genuinely believe that neither the coach or nor Tom Brady had any idea... That anything was going on. I don't believe that anything was going on. Was going on. I'm not sh oh, positive about that. What I am positive about is they had no evidence anything was going on. They kept winning. Isn't that evidence enough? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is how the other teams feel. I mean, that's what it all came down to is that these other teams are they can't stomach getting their ass kicked by the Patriots. And so they have to like <laughs> figure out some way to justify it. I, I would just like to chime in with a resounding, I don't care. <laughs> um, oh, you're one of those uh, academics that doesn't care about sports? No, no, I don't care about 
this particular case. Well, you should. Um, like, I actually, unlike you, have more emotion for the reporters who were killed live than I do for the reversal of Tom Brady's four-game suspension. Speaking of that, uh, yeah. I so I saw the episode. I still haven't seen the video of that, but I saw mm-hmm. the, the finale because we're recording this a few days after we recorded the first segment. And even though it's the, the narrative isn't the same at all, I, it, it seems totally obvious to me that they made the right choice by not showing it. Yeah, I think so. I, I think... I think it's uncontroversially the right choice. I don't think that anybody's, if anything, if anything, the only debate was how far do they go in like, you know, whether they would overcorrect by editing something or changing anything. Well, they didn't edit it at all. They just delayed. No, they didn't. Which is. They they delayed it a week. Which is, that's one of the reasons why it was obviously the right thing to do is that both out of respect for the victims, but also out of respect for the show um, yeah. and the art of the show. And that's all anybody would have been talking about if. No, that's true. That's true. It's much sadder what happened, actually, but it would be sad if the art got, got lost in the controversy over what, what whatever they aired. And it still wasn't that. I mean, there was one feature of it without spoiling anything that was very similar, but. It, you know, yeah. if it had if they had happened like four days apart or if the Mr. Robot finale had come a day earlier, it wouldn't have yeah, been. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't think anybody would have said how uncanny. Yeah, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, what, it is uncanny right. how closely that show parallels real life, though. Why? Because you also it's like they're filming it live. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Yeah. I mean. It's like South Park every once in a while, like, you, you know, the, like how quickly they'll turn around a topical yeah. show. And you're like, holy shit, man. Without uh, spoiling anything again, because we're going to talk. I can't wait to talk about the whole season. But the Ashley Madison thing had already been filmed. Right when the show comes out, there was the whole description of the leaking of all the names and all of that. Were you worried? On it, be honest. Were you worried? <laughs> was I on that list? <laughs> I was as worried as you were worried about the, the replication project. <laughs> but I, first of all, I didn't even know what Ashley Madison was, except that there are some pop-up ads every once in a while. On I had I did I had dinner with the CEO of Ashley Madison. So really? He, uh, he yeah yeah yeah. It was with with Dan Ariely and him and a friend colleague of mine, Nina Mazar. And we, we all had dinner in Toronto one night. It was very interesting. We so got to talk to him quite a bit about, you mean about like the ethics of what he does? Yeah. It, he he was just super straightforwardly like, look, you know, it's a it's a service. People are doing this anyway. Like we all, all we're doing is giving them a forum to do it efficiently and and we make money off of it. And so and he's married himself you know what do you think as a married person he's like well i mean he's like i feel like i have to behave extra well as a married person so that it doesn't seem as if i'm especially in the early days like he was doing it just for you know he has to sort of practice what he doesn't preach right Right. in a in a really weird way um but you know i we i didn't give we didn't give him too much of a hard time one well no but but then so 
the sh- I mean, there. I guess there's a couple of shady things about it, but one of them that came out was that a lot of yeah, the, we didn't, th- right. the, the the women that men were first of all, it was like for every like one woman, there were like 20 guys on the site, and that a lot Even of the worse. women were I just chatbots. Yeah, it was like three percent. You know, it's like really, really like yeah, and that that and obviously that that we didn't know that, yeah. but. They they would actually apparently pay women to create fake profiles like on mass. That's just wrong. You know, that's just if you're gonna get caught in this major like this hacking dump, you should at least have been talking to a real person. Seriously, man, it's like uh, it's like getting busted for selling oregano, you know, or baking soda. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Like, uh, you're just screwing everyone over. Um. <laughs> Here's the other thing about that defense that, well, everyone's doing it. We're just giving them a forum to do it more efficiently. There's like a barrier to cheating that that it's hard, that it's logistically hard to do. That's a barrier to cheating. Like, you know, like Tiger Woods had 14 affairs. People have like three affairs at once. I have no right. clue how that's logistically possible. Yeah, they say it's a crime of opportunity, which I think is is sort of the right the right way to think of it. If you provide people more opportunities, then it's going to happen more. So I think that he wasn't offering too much of a justification on those grounds. I think that his argument was more like convince me that it's bad enough that I am actually doing something bad by creating right. a forum. Well, that that's is fine. like so that's a separate it's, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not it's not illegal, it's not right. It's not yeah. He might even actually think that personally you ought not do it, but Plus, like, he probably stopped a lot of guys from cheating because while they were chatting with, like, chat bots, you know, they could have been out, like, actually talking to real people and having a real affair. (laughs) I love their motto, though. I I love their slogan, life is short, have an affair. That's awesome. Yeah. When I went to dinner, um, Dan said, David, did you? did you know about Ashley Madison? And I guess like he asks people just, you know, to see, like to catch them or whatever. And I was like, yeah, of course I know. He's like, how do you know? And I, and I said, because of the ads that they run on porn. (laughs) And I was, that's just a question of, do you, do you ever look at porn? (laughs) Exactly. So he was talking about how they used to have like all, you know, they used to like that, that life is short. Have an affair was hands down their most successful marketing campaign. Yeah. Um, Okay, so here's a question. Um, that the data all got leaked, yeah, and posted. So there's like three—I don't know how many, three gigs or thirty gigs—I don't remember—of um, a database with names. Yes. Do you look at it? Do I? No. Like, do you think that is it? Like, do you think that 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 people ought not download it? Like or look at it, or like reporters, for instance, looking through to see if any famous names run it. I, it totally depends on the person, right? If you're like a person that suspects that their that your spouse has been cheating on you, then yeah, maybe. If you're, oh, if you're not, then you don't. What about if you just are a reporter and you want to know if, like, you know, Tamler Summers? The famous co-host, <laughs> very bad wizard, is <laughs> on, is on, so that you can run a story, right? Uh, then no, definitely not. They <laughs> should. <laughs> I shouldn't have used that example. Yeah, I think it's an interesting dilemma. Like, is it something that you 
respect the privacy of the people and you just ignore that or do you, are you like well fuck it man they did it like they they were playing with fire for a reporter hey, what if what if you want to find out if judge berman the guy who reversed tom Brady's judge decision? berman would never cheat on his <laughs> judge berman is pure of heart and soul and as for like just checking on other people yeah, I don't think you should do that, but I don't think you should do that not because the information was leaked, but because I don't think you should be a busybody. Yeah, I mean, I agree that, but but it is just a case again, a crime. Like it's opportunity. It's just sitting there. It's like the juiciest, the juice. You know, like there are people who are downloading it to look up if their friends are on it. Really? Right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just you know, I knew fucking Fred. I knew he was. So you're not married. It's you're in no. a relationship. It, yes. Let's say you wanted to cheat on your spouse or person you're in a serious relationship with. Would you go on Ashley Madison? No way. No. No, I'm serious though. I'm not. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I, I get it. I, I. Right. Although that's not the way you started out. Your puzzle. You're being puzzled about about you know Tiger Woods having all his like affairs. But no, I mean, it makes it super easy. You know, like, I bet you guys get drunk one night and they sign up, you know. They think they're, like, being clever by giving, like, you know, slightly different name. But it's still their damn credit card. So all that information is up there. I think there's just a ton of people who would just, in a moment of of drunken weakness, um, do it. Drunken weakness is when the person is right in front of you, not when you're just sitting home alone with your computer. And you're not, and it's not even like a particular person. It's called nerd weakness. It's just the idea of it. Like you have to get, you have to get drunk and have beer goggles for an idea. You know what I mean? No, I don't think you have to have beer goggles. I think they were all, you know, fake pictures of very attractive women. Um, I, you know, I don't know. All, all I know is that, that, that. For the very reason that that you said that it takes something like to really, really go out and and cheat, you have to make some sort of effort, like go to like what I don't think that people have used this term since the 70s, but like singles bars. And the big advantage of Ashley Madison was supposedly that um, that in many cases it was people cheating on their own spouses who were hooking up with each other. So there you have this sort of like mutually assured destruction pack right 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 right, right. and there and and that's where it's like oh man if, the, if they're doing it like i can i can make sure that they're not going to screw me over right um, it's not going to be like a fatal and, attraction thing where <laughs> right and I, it's going to be so a I, rabbit I I can, in your uh, in your pocket yeah i can see the temptation to have done it you know i haven't been married in a while but but i can imagine that at some point like if if the temptation to cheat is to enter your mind at all that this is going to enter my mind see i guess it's because i haven't dated in a world of online dating maybe that's Mm -hmm. why you just masturbated a lot in a world no like i you know i've been with my wife for freaking ever we just had our 16th anniversary wedding anniversary and but yeah no cheating for me as an idea as a hypothetical possibility has always been something conceived of as with a with a person with a concrete person rather than as a abstract idea 
And that's what right. it seems like it has to be at first with Ashley Madison. Like I want you go out with the intention of I want to cheat on my spouse. All right. Now let's look at a range of people that that might be possible with. That's just not cheating as I understand it. Cheating is, oh, I'm blown away by this person. You're such a romantic. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> I'm so old-fashioned about cheating. You are, but but like like sex workers wouldn't exist if it weren't for that. Sometimes men just want the idea of cheating, right? Like they you wouldn't have prostitution really as rampant. No, but that's like different. A, that's a different category. This is a totally different that's not topic. cheating. When Jimmy Carter said, even thinking about cheating on my wife, like I'm I have committed adultery, he was talking about jerking off. <laughs> like that was <laughs> you think the president? Yeah, the president was no. talking about masturbation. I think he grew up in an era where, like, John F. Kennedy was banging Marilyn Monroe. He was thinking, like, like how can I make this happen? Kennedy made it happen. Poor, poor little peanut farmer <laughs> couldn't make it happen. <laughs> well, we he don't was know. like, you, how's Tiger Woods getting 14 affair? No, <laughs> never I, get any. Okay, so that's a separate thing. Any. That's like figuring out just on meeting them because you have to, like, figure out a time to meet them you have to like i don't know like you got to walk the dogs you're just, you're just lazy you're just too lazy to have an affair even uh, though life is short should we take a break <laughs> let's take a break before we get to our actual topic final actual topic Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Finally, we're going to get around to talking about the thing that we've... I think this... If you count by segments, I think we've been trying to talk about this for like five seconds. <laughs> exactly. And it's something that... that we, I mean, we, we did touch on in the earlier segment, but I at least was interested in the, to the general topic of deception. And sp specifically, it was motivated by what we've mentioned before. We mentioned last episode... Um, we both watched a, a documentary on uh, a magician slash debunker, uh, the amazing Randy. And here's so I've just generally been interested in deception, but for one reason or another, the topic and Tamil, you and I have talked about this. Like, it has there's a way in which we get there's a very boring way in which deception is a moral issue. <laughs> if you want to get really depressed, if you're in philosophy, you want to get really depressed, just Google philosophy of deception or philosophy of lying i you know i so yeah well there's <laughs> that that's more interesting even to me than just like the question of under what conditions like psychologically people are more likely to cheat or be dishonest because there's a whole literature it's not just you think that's the chance more of getting boring caught. than the philosophy of it can i just let me just read yeah, you from yeah, yeah. the stanford encyclopedia this is just the opening paragraph 
questions central to the philosophical discussion of lying to others and other deception, parentheses, interpersonal deceiving, may be divided into two kinds. Questions of the first kind are definitional, parentheses, or conceptual. They include questions of how lying is to be defined, how deceiving is to be defined, and whether lying is always a form of deceiving. Questions of the second times are normative, parentheses, more particularly moral. They include the questions of whether lying and deceiving are either, parentheses, either defeasibly or non-defeasibly, morally wrong, whether lying is morally worse than deceiving, and whether, if lying and deception are defeasibly morally wrong, they are morally optional on certain occasions or are sometimes moral, morally obligatory, this entry we will only consider questions of the first kind. That's the same. <laughs> you can't blame... I mean, you can blame the author of that article <laughs> for making it sound so boring. But like there are really to me is a really interesting question uh, about like, you know, I, I think people might have a naive view that lying is wrong. And then when you talk a little bit more, it becomes clear that lying sometimes really isn't wrong and sometimes actually the right thing to do. Like there are actually people, you know, those like those questions are actually really interesting to me more so than, well, it turns out that. Uh, when people are in your in-group, you're more likely to be honest than if they're members of your out-group or whatever. You know, I like the. Oh, okay, that's the, fine. Those, yeah, right. I agree with like, the morality of it, but what a lot of the philosophy is is conceptual analysis of lying versus deceiving versus misleading. And we've we've had this discussion. I think you are bored by these cases, but to me, like, like there's an interesting discussion about it, like bald-faced lying, where where you. I am telling you something that's not true and you know that it's not true. Moreover, I know that you know it's not true. So like it can't be that I think that I'm deceiving you, but I am lying to you. So if I like if I tell you like if I'm just a compulsive liar and I'm just and I'm telling you, yeah, man, when I was when I was in high school, I used to like get laid all the time and you know it's not true. I know that you know it's not true. And we're just like, is that a lie? To be like, that's actually, like, it's conceptual analysis, but it's the kind that is, the, it's a, an interesting discussion. What? Me. Right. Are you serious? Yeah. Are you being yeah, serious? Yeah. I'm dead, dead serious. It, does it, does it meet the platonic criteria of, of the concept lying? I don't, I don't think that for there to be a, a discussion about a concept, it has to be platonic anymore <laughs> than it has to be Kantian. <laughs> but it is. It is, you know, it, do I put that in the category of lying when the, the the person can't possibly have the intent to deceive because they know that they're not deceiving me? Um, I mean, and it's then lying you can in use one that, sense like, and in another sense it isn't. What what progress can you make on that question? Well, if you can, I mean, there's a reason to have concepts. Like, you know, it's you're not discovering like like the atomic weight of something when you discuss a concept part of the concept can be whether or not we should have moral blame in the same sense for two kinds of lies if you know that there's no chance that you're deceiving the other person is that just as bad as when you think well, that you obviously really have a it's shot not at... just as bad right no 
you, you think it might be just it as might, bad. It to might like, even be worse to, to say something it's, that it, you know the other person doesn't believe it's true, and you're just bullshitting, and they know you're bullshitting. That it's not obvious that I think it's not obvious, and moreover, I think it might be worse. What? Like it's disrespecting if say Jen ever finds out that you cheated on her that one time or whatever. Um, and <laughs> she knows she, she finds out and she knows for sure. And you suspect that she found out. And so she says, did you cheat on me? And you say, absolutely not. At this point, you're just fuck. I, I can't just, I I'm can't f- admit it. You're right. Like, I think it's disrespecting somebody to, to be so blatant in your lying. Well, okay. Right? I think it's a mark a of, your, of your kind of case. That's a case where. So your case was you tell me that you had a lot of sex in high school. I know you're bullshitting. You're not disrespecting me when you say that. I mean, so I mean, so suppose that there is like more more implication for our interpersonal relationship. You know, um, there's a lot like uh, it matters. <laughs> my, my reputation, <laughs> your earth mean? would be shattered if you found out what a nerd I was in high school. There's a way in which, like, if if I absolutely know that you're lying to my face and i know that you know that i know that's just like fuck you man oh you know what i'm starting to agree with you and i'll tell you why (laughs) because roger goodell released a statement (laughs) after judge richard m berman the official uh, federal judge of the Very Bad Wizards podcast, <laughs> saint, Roger, saint. <laughs> patron saint, he 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 released a statement, Goodell, saying that we are going to appeal this decision in order to protect the integrity of the league. Everybody, like knows we all, that everybody he's knows not that. about integrity and that he's just doing the bidding of a like <laughs> like a bunch of bitter owners and even people who hate the Patriots and who think Tom Brady's guilty and blah blah blah. Like nobody thinks that Goodell gives a shit about the integrity of the league, and so <laughs> right. that was like insulting. It was an insult to our intelligence. So that's, I guess, the idea is like it's insulting yeah. to your intelligence. I feel this way actually about cheating in my class. I, as a grad student, I was teaching at Southern Connecticut State. Um, I was co-teaching a course and I was giving the exam in social psychology. And there was a kid in the back. It was say it was like a course of like 40 kids. And there was a kid in the back who was just like clearly like so obviously looking down at his lap at like some, you know, crib notes or something or his textbook. I don't even remember. And so, you know, you know how you do like where you, you just kind of make sure that they notice that you're looking at them like in in the hopes. I, that I'm different like, than you about this. Like I, I'm I get really mad when people cheat. I don't like want them to do it and do it privately. Like I just don't want them to cheat, period. But I was extra pissed off that he would like think of me as such an idiot that he would so blatantly cheat. It's sort of like plagiarism when like an easy Google search would just like demonstrate that they got it like cut and paste from, from it's like, you know, if you're going to plagiarize, like don't insult my intelligence. There was a kid who plagiarized out of a book in which I was a contributor and a seminal volume of uh, contributions. And it was like that to me, the fact that like he was quoting from the intro to a book that was edited by like a friend of mine that I had, a, like, I was like, fuck dude, you know, like that's like, it was lazy. 
It was like a late. You, you want them to have cheat, realized. Like, put a little effort into their cheating. Put a little effort into it. Like act, act like you could get away. But actually, you know, we're different like that. I don't care. Like I don't care whether they're doing it blatantly or whether they're doing it sneakily. And I think it, if anything, it might be worse if they're trying to uh, if they're good at it. You know, if they're good at it. Yeah. So I. Um, it's something kind of sadder if it's like I, okay, I let me feel give you more an... sympathy for them if they're if it's too blatant. It's like they couldn't even figure <laughs> out like how the, to make they're it. They're like simpletons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Like, so, you realize that this uh, is on Turn It In, right? And that like I'm gonna get like this big <laughs> thing that, where it's all highlighted. Uh, okay. So, uh, well, I want your intuition, maybe our audience too. Uh, there is a guy here at Cornell who teaches. Um, the one class that is larger than my intro psych class, and he's an, he's just a jerk about rubbing it in. Um, but it's he has not about nine hundred kids in in this huge auditorium. He teaches introduction to oceanography, and it's always right after my class. And he was we we often have just a little discussion uh, in between class where I accuse him of just talking about dolphins to up his enrollment. Um, <laughs> But he was saying that he's trying to increase his attendance. And this is what he was going to do. He was going to give extra credit uh, for kids um, for attending class. But since there's no good way of actually checking whether they go to class, he said he's going to just use the honor system and say, at the end of the semester, tell me how many classes you attended. And if it's some threshold, you get extra credit. So, So he said... So I said, I think that's a real, that's a great idea. And he said, it's interesting because I've told a few people and he says, only like a couple of people thought it was a great idea. Everybody else thinks that I'm a fucking idiot, right? Because like, obviously just kids are going to lie about their attendance, right? Just to get the extra credit. Cause there's a, there's no way he can prove it. And I, I, I said, yeah, sure. Like that, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me if they lie. Like to me, yeah, they're assholes like they're you know they're hurting themselves but i think that it would be providing a good incentive for kids like the honest ones to actually come i, I think that people just right he, I, so, I i see what you're yeah. saying i mean i don't have i think where we differ might be that the whole idea that they're just hurting themselves if they lie doesn't resonate as much with me but the idea of giving the honest kids who, like like people like me who were who like I was a good kid, but I would try to get away with shit if I could, and I would yeah. get too and I would be too hungover to come to class, and you know that might give me that extra little bump to actually come to class, you know, just right. for the sake of like, look, I don't want to lie about this, I don't want to pretend that I did it. I mean, I did say that I got pink eye once to avoid <laughs> yeah. taking. Yeah, but. I know. I mean, I'm not above lying. I think you know. And I was talking to Alex about this. Um, she was saying, "Wouldn't you lie? Wouldn't you lie?" And and I was saying, oh, you know, I I don't want to, I I don't want to lie now and say that I wouldn't. Um, I I think that. You know, if you needed to attend whatever thirty classes to get the extra credit point, and I attended twenty eight, I might you know I'd be really tempted right. or whatever. But I think I do think it would provide me motivation to actually get to that number, get close, and I, I, yeah. yeah, yeah, to get close. And I do think that if I just went, to, if I had decided like you know what, I don't, I'm just going to go to half of the classes. I, I don't right. think I would just say that I That's did. Right. Um, me neither. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it might it would provide you the incentive to get and to get somewhere in that ballpark. 
and yeah. it might and then once you're in that ballpark it's like you know what fuck it like maybe i should just go to let me just do this whole thing there's a way what i was starting to say is there's a way in which i think most people agree that on the face of it at least lies in these cases and deception are bad things yeah and this is what I, this is you know five segments later the, the only point that i thought is really interesting about um cases like the career of of the amazing randy and his goal in in using deception where it's it's so cleverly used to uncover other deception you've been taking a lot of medication peter popoff is a very dangerous man in the name of jesus popoff just seemed to be able to hear the voice of god and know all about people john 3784 he wondered how he got the information i dressed as a security guard i appeared in disguise you randy is trying to say this is a big hoax duh i'll take two eight by ten the man that puts the fear of god into all way to be bigger than yourself is to lie this documentary which is i think was what we wanted to talk about um is so well done i think because it introduces a category of deception that i like it's it's almost kind of like a bald-faced lie but like you're going in as the audience there's a weird there's a funny thing about magic which has always fascinated me which is like we go into a show a magic show and we're amazed when the magician like saws a woman in half, but it's, it's not like we actually believe that he sawed her in half. Right. But if we didn't believe it at all, then it would be kind of boring. Right. Like, so as soon as you find out the trick, then you're like, ah, it's stupid. But there is this like magic little part, this like is magic middle where you kind of want to believe like that David Copperfield can fly. When you find out the truth of what he was doing, it's not that interesting. I agree that it might not be as interesting when you find out the truth of it, but I don't necessarily agree that you actually think that the woman is sawed in half. No, you don't. Or any part of you thinks that. Well, there's it's weird what you think because it actually is shocking. Like there is almost a perceptual way in which your eyes yeah. are deceiving you and yeah. you can you have an initial sense that what what has happened is impossible because I don't believe that he just killed a woman on stage. How how the hell did that happen? And so magic is a case where you go in to be deceived. Right. Because I think that as every magician knows, the minute you tell someone the trick is just is just ruined. Right? The show is is ruined. So you're kind of whatever it is that you're believing, it's not You are asking to be deceived a little bit. Yeah. Well, you're asking to not know how they do a certain. And you want to stay in one. You want to stay in wonder, right? Yeah. You want to stay in wonder about how something that doesn't seem like it's possible happened. So are you looking to be deceived? Well, it's I mean, it's it it depends on what you mean. But (laughs) right. Yeah. So let me. So there's a little bit of background, I think, to to magic that I think might illustrate the difference between um, magic and just straight up lying and deception. So upstate New York, it was a hotbed in the, in the 1800s was like this hotbed of like religion and spiritualism, William Miller and the Millerites, which is where Adventism came out of uh, the Mormons. 
spiritualism kind of like took a foothold like in the late 1800s yeah. when people were doing seances and stuff so there were actually two little girls who started tricking adults into thinking that they were channeling spirits by making like these rap tapping noises on the floor and they were just doing it in a way that people couldn't tell where the noises were coming from and that kind of got the whole thing going so then there were a couple of brothers who started doing this act, this seance, where they would, they had like this box and they would go into the box tied up with, they would like have their hands completely tied and they would turn off the lights and make the room dark and close the doors. And then all of a sudden, like things would start moving, instruments would start playing, like there would be banging noises on the wall. And then they would turn the lights back on and the, the brothers were still like had their hands tied. And it was all just this trick where, they made it so that they could easily escape the ropes. They would get out of the box and they would start banging shit around and then they would go back in the box and like, it was just a magic trick, but people believed they really believed that there were ghosts and seances and it was like a, a religious movement and early magicians like in the late 1800s figured out the trick. There were some magicians who did magic just to expose that deception, right? right? Like that's how a lot of those magicians got started doing their tricks and, and it's actually really interesting. I just recently read a book about this to no end about. Yeah, it's amazing like, how, are, how much you <laughs> how much how much somebody can know. information. You know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> but this is like the actual funny thing preparation is like, for an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours in, uh, but whatever. There, <laughs> there, there would be like there would actually have like public debates where like the the spiritualists would say no. It, just like in the Amazing Randy documentary, that guy Yuri Geller, where they would say. No, he's just like the magician is just figuring out some other way to do what I'm doing supernaturally, right? And so Randy has made a career of just showing everybody like essentially how easy it is to fool people and right. uncovering this stuff. And and he like I don't know if you got the sense when I was watching the movie. It's a documentary, so I don't think there's you should watch it, but I don't think that uh, we won't spoil like one of the the big reveals about this. But there is something that I don't think is a spoiler, which is that he, Randy went to great lengths to actually deceive psychologists yeah. into studying these parapsychologists. Mm -hmm. who's, uh, so for a long time, this was respectable, not respectable, but on the borderline of respectability. Yeah. Like right, using like the scientific psychic yeah. phen phenomena and Randy kind of knew it was bullshit, but, he he still had a lot of phenomena to explain, which is all yeah. these weird things that were happening. And so he would go to great lengths, as you said, to try to show how through perfectly naturalistic means he could achieve the same effect and importantly, fool the same psychologist into believing. Yeah, and it's so it really is uncanny actually watching that documentary and then talking about <clears throat> all of the problems with modern psychology where these people, these psychologists, and I think some were at Stanford at the time were actually using what they thought was like up and up, like legit scientific ways of studying this. And they were arriving at, at like the conclusion that there was something there that like scientifically they had documented some paranormal phenomenon, but Randy had actually just trained two kids, like these two young guys to just like bullshit, like well enough that they could deceive um, you know, a naive like, psychologist. And these guys, I think one of the more interesting parts of this documentary is when these guys start actually feeling bad about it. Yeah. Where they're like, it goes on I for know. a long time. It's not <laughs> yeah. like a one time thing. This goes on for like a couple of years. 
Yeah, and you wonder where you're like, wow, you know, at first I was convinced, like, this is a champion of truth. This guy is like, do you know, it's like doing the Lord's work, like bringing the, putting the truth out there by exposing stuff. But then he starts getting just a little, like a little into just the straight up, like deceiving people in a way that started to make me feel uncomfortable, right? Well, so there's another movie that we talked about in this context is the Orson Welles movie, F for Fake. And that's actually not yeah. about magicians as much as it is about a forger right um, orson some... wells though himself was was a was a magician an amateur magician and it, in that movie he makes reference to a lot of magic and illusion and yeah he was really fascinated by by this yeah. yeah and very much a fan of it and a fan of the idea that you could use deception to reach a kind of truth and that's i think right. what randy is like if you could define what he's doing in in like a slogan and a life is short, have an affair type slogan, <laughs> it would be like I'm using deception to get at a larger truth. Ex- expose how I, I it's it's not it's not unlike what uh, I think some social scientists do, like Elizabeth Loftus, when she's showing how easy it is to trick people into having false memories. Right. Like. There are ethical considerations to even, you know, so economists, when they're doing studies, they just won't lie to participants. Right. But That's psychologists, in many cases, think it's so critical to exposing some some other truth. Well, like, like think of Milgram, we, right? Like, that's a classic yeah. example of where they misled participants into thinking that they were shocking somebody maybe to death. Right. And the yeah, idea was to get to a larger truth about, you know, what we're capable of as human yeah. beings. Let's go back to the yeah. Randy documentary for a second, because yeah. I think that's really interesting what you were hitting on, where those two guys who I, I think it was over a year at least. Yeah. You know, like scheme of deceiving these parapsychologists into thinking that they really had psychic powers. And it was all geared towards this one moment where they would reveal that they, that they, you know, that this was all a, a, an elaborately planned trick. They felt bad. And the reason they felt bad is because like they had developed real relationships with those guys. They felt like it was a kind of a betrayal. And I think you feel that as a viewer, like you also, I mean, there's the, the kid who's like traveling the world, giving these, these talks about his ability again only to eventually uncover um and i think that that they're also feeling a little used by randy right like they're feeling like he's he's just running this show where he's making them do something and i i've had the experience of when i've run studies which i never do because now because students do it when i was in graduate school i remember running a study where deception was involved and what i had to do was convince an undergrad that they had to make a phone call to another fellow student and convince them to run studies for credit. Right. So it was like freshmen in intro psych, they were coming into lab and I was saying, we want to, we want to test how persuasive you, you are. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to have you um, just call 10 fellow Yale students from this directory randomly and ask them if they would be willing to participate in psych studies. Uh, oh, we told them they were calling juniors and seniors, but these were all freshmen. And these kids were just like, they were so nervous. You could, and we only had them make one phone call and it was totally fake. And they left a message on an answering machine. And I had to like really just maintain, you know, like this deception 
really convincing them that they had to do this. The experiment requires that you continue. <laughs> the experiment requires that you continue. Uh, and that's where Milgram did it in the same fucking building. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I mentioned this when we talked about Milgram, but we found Milgram's tenure file. In random in storage, we found his tenure file with all the letters from all the people saying yes or no. He didn't get tenure at Yale. He got rejected for tenure. And there was people. Really? It was totally split, like letters from famous people. And yeah, there were letters where like, this guy is a monster. He's an asshole. Like, if you tenure him, you'll be making. And there was like, this guy's a genius. You know, he's made the single handed biggest contribution in the field. It was really interesting. But so I remember he did feeling all like, that stuff pre tenure. He did it pre-tenure. He, he got denied tenure at Yale, and then he, he ended up at Harvard. <laughs> um, yeah, and he died fairly young. But like Wait, so I, I interrupted you, but you were saying... <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no. So I remember feeling just actively bad. Yeah. I, I couldn't... And I, and I realized, like, you had to have a certain amount of sort of emotional uh, callousness in order to really do it well. To, to deceive students in that way, to deceive people in that way. And I found myself just, I, I realized that I, I couldn't do it. Um, so what matters here, to give my theory, is what is the greater good that you are trying to achieve? And then how much of a betrayal is it to the people that you're having a relationship with. I mean, at least with Randy, right? You end up finding out as you end yeah. up finding out what the, what it, you know, like what the truth actually is in something like the, the, the art forgery, right? Some people will never know the truth and they'll know yeah. that they, and, and they'll think they have a real Picasso or they, they'll, yeah. they have a real Modigliani, if that's his name. Or Matisse, or and and they'll go to their graves thinking that they have that. There's a way, though, in which, like, this is why I think making the utilitarian calculation can easily lead to this blurring of of the line. Okay, like for three years, I'm going to lie to people in order to do this, you know, this great sort of uncovering this. And maybe it is the case that that it was worth it in the end, but it's done something, I think to the people involved that is the very thing that probably that probably upset you in the first place like just like not, not even a cover cop that goes into the <laughs> and ends up too deep i got <laughs> in too deep exactly. i confused it i know i no longer could tell the difference between right and wrong this is a, we this talk. is an example of like you know here's a deception that most Christian kids. I never had to deal with this. Well, I guess I did have to deal with it as a as a father, but I didn't really. Just I guess because I never believed in Santa Claus, I didn't really believe that kids can believe in Santa Claus. Apparently, that's not true. Yeah. So I never believed in Santa either, and and I never believed in Santa because my parents actually thought it was bullshit to lie to your kid about this. Like, so they didn't know about neuroscience then. <laughs> they didn't. This is the most bullshit article. We'll put it. It's the most bullshit article I've. I think I've ever read. Ever. You know. It, ever. Even though you could fill a warehouse with bullshit neuroscience articles. Yes, this one is like it's like <laughs> the one worst the kind of bullshit. Where it's like every single kind of inferential error, as well as like it's. Like, oh my god, she could have concluded like anything. Like she, it could have. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So this is an article in New York Times op-ed about like brain science showing that it's good to lie to your kids about Santa. Like, it was it like I, I like look, I'm open to it being fine. I am totally open to it being fine. I get <laughs> shit from Eliza still. You ruined my childhood, blah blah blah. So and that maybe I did. But not because of brain science. Like I <laughs> I'm open to believing that I did, but not because of... Yeah, so this is called Santa on the Brain. In addition to being a mom, I'm a behavioral neuroscientist, a professor, and a generally serious-minded, reality-based person. So what in the world had I just done, this elaborate lie about uh, uh, Santa Claus existing? Why did I invent this incredible story in a desperate bid to protect my daughter's belief in Santa instead of seizing it as a teachable moment to tell him the truth? While it may seem that I had abandoned my scientific training... Nothing could be further from the truth. And those, that sentence is a paragraph on its own just for the dramatic effect. Like, and, then, and then like the next paragraph starts with like a fact that makes us like think, although children are born with a full set of 86 billion brain cells or neurons, um, which uh, children slowly learn about the rules of the physical world and the distinctions between fiction and nonfiction. Magical so, okay. beliefs are pruned away as mature neural circuits reflect. Luckily, however, we don't completely lose those old ways of thinking because the brain appears to retain a mechanism for neural time travel. I- this is... This is- I mean, literally, you could argue that any lie to your kid is complete crock of shit and just be like, so, okay, so this is the last paragraph. So, although I was in mom mode and not neuroscience mode when I came up with that cockamamie story about Santa's bad back, neuroscience research confirms the (laughs) benefits of trying to assure, (laughs) the benefits of trying to confirm the benefit of trying to assure that my girls have an emotional holiday portal for their future adult brains. I... (laughs) Yeah, I, I, uh, I Kelly Lambert, Kelly Lambert, uh, is the author. I am so disappointed. I don't. This was appeared on December twenty two, two thousand thirteen. I yeah, I. <laughs> I, I believe this so, is just as important as their childhood vaccinations. Because it's just neuroscience. oh my god, oh my god, because neuroscience. Because because eighty six billion brain cells, like that, <laughs> or neurons, mm. <laughs> or or quote neurons. Um, oh my god! It would almost be worth it if this was an elaborate hoax. That's right. So that like you know, as soon as like January first came around, she said, "Hey, you like I got this in to the, the New York, York Times, Times. Right. like an Alan like, so called." Yeah, whatever. like the so-called this is another example that I want to like actually discuss, but we probably yeah. couldn't stop pretty soon. But like the so-called hoax, where you know you just like you just publish an article that's just gibberish. I wish maybe she did. Maybe, maybe but that's like, a, yeah, I mean that's a great example of a lie that was done to expose a larger truth, which is the bullshitness of and and this could be that. I mean, for all we know, this is like exit through the gift shop. You know, like this is like we're waiting for the reveal still. (laughs) I'm still waiting for the reveal. Kelly Lambert, Kelly, (laughs) professor of neuroscience at Randolph Macon College. I mean, I feel, you know, for all we know, maybe uh, Kelly Lambert is familiar with this podcast.
I I hope she is. I hope she is. <laughs> no, but um, this is really as, as bad as a lot of these things are. I love the uh, neuroscience confirms. That's my favorite. <laughs> neuroscience research confirms the benefits of trying to assure that my girls have an emotional holiday portal for their future right. adult brains. Wow. It's like uh, <laughs> neuroscience also confirms. That you're right not to tell your wife that you cheated on her. <laughs> because, Ashley Madison. Because, yeah. <laughs> because there are certain parts of her brain that will make her really upset when she finds out. <laughs> is neuroscience all bullshit? No, neuroscience itself, I think, is so is it's just hard. And I think any good neuroscientist um, who's interested in the brain for the sake of the brain will t- like, you know, they'll they're really sober usually about about how like if anything they'll say how little we know about how the brain actually works there is just a certain brand of of cognitive neuroscience maybe where they're like because brain stuff is so people eat it up so much that there is just an audience for saying i have found at least whenever i talk to real neuroscientists they're usually they cringe at this stuff like this is I mean, I'm more upset at the editors than, than anything else for letting this one get through. <laughs> Santa on the brain. First of all, it's anti-Semitic, and you know you haven't brought it up, but it's like, dra- is- well, yeah. Where's the Jewish portal to the brain? <laughs> you know, you know like- dreidels don't do the same thing. Like, you know, <laughs> nobody has fond memories of their dreidel. <laughs> I have fond memories of my dreidel. <laughs> No wonder Christians are are better people. Like you just uh, you know you guys have like Santa Claus and reindeer and like Rudolph and we have a dreidel. Yeah, <laughs> we suck. Jews suck. <laughs> Fuck Jews. But I will say this about about how sometimes I do wish uh, that I were a Jew and and I remember I'm reminded of Paul Bloom's story when he he went to his rabbi and said rabbi I don't think I believe in God and the rabbi said belief belief. Right. right, and where it's like, you know what? Let's keep it real. Let's just keep it real. You're just setting them up for either either mild disappointment or great disappointment. <laughs> like, about Santa Claus? About no. Santa Claus? Like when you lie to them? No, you're just. I mean, like, I'm no neuros. I'm no neuroscientist. If they really do believe in it, then I have no issue with like telling your kid that Santa Claus exists. But you have to introduce that belief. Yeah. So I have no issue with that. What I have an yeah. issue with is pretending that like neuroscience supports no, yeah, the no, ethics that's, of that's it. The... But like I what I what I don't have an issue with is 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 doing that kind of stuff. But I also think that the sort of uh the Jewish thing is more look, we're all going to suspend our disbelief. You know, my dad studied he was a he was a, a rabbi when he was very young before he became you know he sort of threw it all away and became an atheist but he studied under a very famous jewish rabbi and scholar called Soloveitchik and he went to him he said look i'm i'm starting to worry that this is all kind of bullshit you know that there's no there's no God. I mean, like, there's no evidence for God. So can you tell me, like, do you believe in God? Like, do you think that there's a God? My dad always told me that Soloveitchik said to him, intellectually, it's 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> 
And this is like the most famous <laughs> rabbi of like the 20th century, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah, 50 right. Like, it's a coin you know, flip. Like, yeah. It's a coin Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I get that. But I also get that, you know, like yeah, uh, kids seem to like Santa and they don't seem traumatized when they find out there's no Santa. It's almost like fun to find out. That I, they, you know, I mean, that there's no Santa. Well, like, <laughs> it's like finding out that there's no god because like, you know that you know it before some other kid that still believes in it you know and so maybe i you know i don't think that it's the case that there aren't but so you know walter Sinner armstrong he was pissed he felt betrayed by his parents for for having lied to him. and i don't think that that's impossible like i i can i can see feeling like there's a moment in which some children might actually feel like, wait, what? Why the hell have you been lying to me about this? Neuroscience. And that's why I think that doing... neuroscience. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I think that actually doing the calculus is sometimes the wrong thing to do. Like, we should just... I I think that all things being equal, like, you need to have very good reason to lie. Like, obvious reason. Not not coin, coin flip odds. But like really good reason to lie. Yeah, but I think what you like s- there's arguably good reason to lie for a Christian family. Yeah. I mean, so, I didn't find Santa? good reason to lie. But I still get shit about it. You you stole the mystery of my childhood. I think I'm a champion of truth because my parents were unwilling to lie to me about that. <laughs> like, unlike our our uh previous episode where we discussed the dilemma about your telling your kids about god and religion what you like there really is like look like one of the parents really genuinely believes that this is true in this case it's like like no one believes in santa but like let's play with the kids and i think that the risk of that having them feel like they were lied to is worse than that that never happens though like how many kids do you know that 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 feel in any way traumatized by that 12 12 walterson and i don't don't know that's the first person i've ever heard (laughs) like that and then kyle on south park about the tooth fairy wait what are you saying that's a great i yeah i i I don't know i don't know i mean it is like i also don't get how they really believe in it because these kids are smart in every other area of their life Get and I always tell Eliza, and she was just a little too young to really interrogate her friends about this. But I always told her, I want you to figure out like exactly how they make that consistent with the rest of their beliefs about the world, you know. <laughs> and I, I never found that out really. But I have talked to with her about it. Like so, so when your friends found out that there was no Santa. Were they, did they apologize? Because there was this, there's this one Jewish kid in their class, he's Israeli, who would go around telling them that there was no Santa <laughs> and they would get mad at him. And he was, he was just this little short Jewish kid that would apologize to Sam. Did they say, oh, you were right? You know, you were right. Like, no, they just kind of moved, moved on. <laughs> yeah. I remember telling my, my next door neighbor, because I also assumed that everybody knew that Santa didn't exist because yeah. I must have been five or six years old and I had a, a next door neighbor. I said something like, well, you know, it's not like Santa's real or, you know, something like that. And he was like, no, yeah, he is. And I was like, wait, wait, really? Like, I was like, no. <laughs> but I couldn't believe, like you said, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm obviously like 
porting over my current beliefs into my six-year-old brain. But but now, like, it seems to me like I had this wonder, like, how you could maintain with any consistency that belief. But, you know, this is, it is not unlike so many other supernatural beliefs where you're just like, wait, how do you maintain some yeah. consistency in this? You know, And that's the sad thing in the James Randi interview. And I know we mentioned this in the last segment, but I mean, the movie, the documentary, those people, you know, that one of the things he tries to expose are these evangelical, these healers, you know, where they can touch somebody's forehead and, and like oh. draw the devil out of them or heal them from like some sort of physical ailment that they have. And like, it's so palpably obvious that it's bullshit, but they believe it because they have so much invested in it being true and nothing invested in it being false. Like there's no benefit. It's Pascal's wager, I guess. Like there's, there's zero downside of thinking that it's true and it's not, but like infinite upside of thinking that it's true and it turning out to be true. It's, it's to, to me, it's one of those cases of ultimate betrayal where, where, so this guy, uh, Peter Popoff is, is one of the, is like the, the, the guy in, <laughs> in, in the, the name. documentary. Popoff. Yeah, I know, I know. Popoff. It's like the shitty vodka that um, that you can buy in the plastic bottles. <laughs> it's the worst kind of betrayal to me. Where he, uh, under the guise of of like religion and and belief, is actually doing the very thing that 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 the religion like pretty firmly stands against, like that kind of deception. Where not that you need to be Christian to know that deception is wrong, but it's so fundamentally evil, like to 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 prey on on people who actually might otherwise they, they these are people who actually av- would probably avoid going to a doctor because they had such a belief in this fucking guy. Is like Peter Popoff is is German, so so there's extra reason to doubt. It. <laughs> I love the Germans. Tina Sippel, who has been with us. Tina Sippel is awesome. Beginning. We we love her. Thank you, Tina. Um, but this guy would actually have people throw away their prescription pills. So, yeah. You just don't like the idea of anybody throwing away their prescriptions. <laughs> like, like, Dude, that's like, like you have there. Don't throw that away. <laughs> Give that to me. I know. That can help even if you don't have pain. <laughs> it can help. Uh, in the Wikipedia, it says... They they would break. He would ask them to to break free of the devil by throwing their prescription pills onto the stage. Many would obey, tossing away bottles of digitalis, nitroglycerin, and other important medications. Um, he would also command wheelchair bound supplicants to rise and break free. He was just actually like t- totally putting people in wheelchairs and like faking faking. Because <laughs> I don't believe pres- I don't believe the placebo effect can be that powerful. <laughs> I don't know. It's betrayal to me and like. In a way in which I'm, I'm willing to take the downside of not having whatever placebo effects you might get for just, I just think of him as like just genuinely a bad human being. You're a rule consequentialist. Well, I almost, yeah, well, yeah, in some, 
Uh, yeah, I, probably a deontologist because we all know that rule consequentialism collapses into act. <laughs> we all know that. Um, and we all know this, as is well known. Life is short, and rule consequentialism <laughs> collapses into act. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I just think it undermines. I, I don't. I don't like it. I actually. I. I think that that I would judge you if he, if he actually believed he was healing people. I would find it less despicable. But he was like, you know, totally like going to great lengths to deceive people for money. You know, and it makes it, it for, yeah. It's, it's interesting, the Yuri Geller thing, because yeah. he was just purely deceiving people for personal gain in the sense of, you know, like he became kind of a superstar and a celebrity and, and never pretended to be helping anybody besides himself. Or, right, he was like uh, bending spoons. And at the end of his, you know, at the end of the movie, he's he doesn't ever admit it, but he kind of he kind of suggests that Randy was sort of missing the point of what he was doing. Yeah. And I think there is a little bit of this sort of gray area and where you conflate what they're doing with art. And this is also like belief to belief. You're missing the point if you're just focused on whether this thing is actually real or not. Like right. that you're you're not focused <laughs> on the right thing. It can seem disingenuous, uh, but I, I I get it to an extent. I I mean I think this is why you're you're you tend to be more sympathetic. You don't know, the sort of hardcore atheist agenda sometimes, where I actually am like. I just want to. I just want the harsh truth. You want the toothbrush, toothbrush in your glass, the grave. <laughs> yeah, I want to know the bus ticket. Our works in stone, in paint, in print, are spared. Some of them for a few decades, or a millennium or two, but everything must finally fall in war, or wear away into the ultimate and universal ash. The triumphs and the frauds. The treasures and the fakes a fact of life. We're going to die. Be of good heart. Cry the dead artists out of the living past. Our songs will all be silenced. But what of it? Go on singing. Maybe a man's name doesn't matter all that much. And of course, there are cases where art, you know, by by dint of being fiction, for instance, is a lot is is not true, but it's not a deception. Like it really is an uncovering. I think Yuri Geller is is using this metaphor to. Un- I, to, to unfairly you know use like his, he's like i don't really believe um you know uh uh synecdoche new york happened the events but like that movie moves me to appreciate the tragedy of life and death in a way that that nothing else i think about that movie sometimes and how i can't watch it because it's just too re- it's so fantastical you know, but the scenes are so emotionally moving that they capture the truth of of life and death 
in in a way that just makes me so uncomfortable that like reading you will die will never move me so like i get that but i'm not just and nobody's pretending right i'm not feeling like shit like i didn't know it was fake fire in the background like of the house when she's talking and and it's also like it's disingenuous because Yuri Geller would just say flat out, "No, this is real. This is genuinely happening." Yeah. This he wasn't like, <laughs> right. "No, this isn't the point. It's about the art. It's you know, it's about the right. experience." Randy is bending spoons in a different way. Yeah. <laughs> he's not channeling psychic ability. Um, he's a trickster. I'm doing it in the real way. Yeah. All right. I think we've I think we've arrived at the fundamental truth. That, yeah. <laughs> that real, real that judge Richard M. Berman is the man. He <laughs> is the god that we should all worship. If we, if we ever, if if Tom Brady, like, suppose that that uh, you and I are, you know, eighty years old, or well, I would be, you know, sixty-five and you're eighty, um, and you know, we've long since stopped doing a podcast. Like, there's, there's you know, we're. We're no longer the whippersnappers so that we're, we're dead. And Tom Brady and Tom Brady, yeah. And Tom Brady writes a memoir and he says, Man, I fucking totally deflated those balls. But it's not about it was about the, Will you record it's about exposing it? yes. a larger truth. The NFL is entertainment. No one says that like the WWE should be suspended for four wrestling matches because they, you know. <laughs> WWF, as, as, as I like to it's call not it. a great example because Tom Brady is infallible, like the church. <laughs> He's like the Pope. He's exactly. like Pope. He, he. So, I mean, well, we I, the only thing I was asking that. was that we would have to use reflective equilibrium to fit <laughs> that with the. I was uh, just asking if we'd record a very special episode where you could take back everything, <laughs> everything that you ever said. No. But, <laughs> You know what? No, I'm not getting Tron back. <laughs> no, don't. Here, but don't. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Our 75th episode is next time, which I hope it, it may be tight a tighter episode. We'll see. <laughs> this and is going to be the most difficult editing job that that we've given. I know, and I don't have time to do it. Actually, like <laughs> I'm just no going to put out three hours of bullshit <laughs> <laughs> because it's art. Because it's art. It's Just not the point remember. that it would be <laughs> that it would be interesting to listen to. That's not the point. <laughs> All right. Or insightful. All right. Join us next time. Okay. I think that was a little indulgent. <laughs> Just a very bad wizard.